I was a little afraid when PJ said there was good news and bad news. I afraid I was going to be the bad news, you know, because uh, Rick was supposed to speak this morning, and uh, I guess she's mentioned he's not here, and so um, we finally got that all figured out around Thursday, and so um, I was told I needed to come up with a message, and so Brandon figured this out. He knew, he figured out the secret to pastors. Whenever we get pinched for time or we don't have a full week to practice, we pull out a sermon that we did back a ways, and so... I actually pulled this sermon from uh, back in the archives, back when I was in New York, so when I was working through the series in Mark, and so I redid it up a little bit and refreshed myself, and so you're getting a, a sermon that you haven't heard before, but it is one that I've preached before, and so we're going to do Mark chapter 2 this morning, um, but as God would have it, he's worked it out really well. That last song talked about Jesus, and uh, of course, Mark records Jesus' life, and so it lines up really well with that message. I also want to thank you for um, praying this week as I travel. Uh, My R's may move around. I'm just going to warn you now, um, being in Maine, and uh, it was amazing how many times I was even hearing it, but um, as I was traveling back, I heard it in my own voice, uh, dropping my R's and moving them around uh, as I tend to do. But don't worry, I had lobster, chowder, clams, and even a whoopie pie while I was gone, so... um, you don't know what a whoopie pie is, um, they're really good. Uh, the wicked awesome, yes. Wicked, yes, that's another mainism. Yeah, wicked, everything is wicked. Wicked good, wicked, yeah, everything is wicked. That's an, uh, an adjective that we just throw on. We have nothing else to say, we just say wicked. But uh, anyways, back to the message. And so, man, I could throw myself off. Mark chapter 2, and I've titled today's message, Action and Words, or you could even do it, Words and Action, right? Uh, Because as I was reading through this again and and going through it, I I realized that um, both need to be working together. Both need to be in unison. They need to be unified. We We can't just say things, but if we're not doing things that line up with our words, it's meaningless. And again, we have that perfect example. We have Jesus here in this story through this chapter that continually shows us um, putting both into practice at the same time. And so uh, we're picking up Jesus' ministry. Um, it's later on in his ministry. He's, he's calling his disciples. and He's coming along and Mark has recorded it for us. This is John Mark and he's recorded um, not as an eyewitness, um, Mark got most of his information from Peter, who was an eyewitness. And so he, it's a condensed version. It's very bottom line. It's one of the things about the, the gospel of Mark. It's, it's kind of by points, and it's kind of narrowed down uh, his audience. And it's a rather many of the things and filled in the blanks. But he pulls it all together really tight. And it's a rather short gospel. Um, but yet it contains everything that the other two gospels have, um, the other Three Gospels, I should say. I wasn't forgetting John. But, but obviously, Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, Gospels are very detailed in Jesus' ministry, where John is more thematic in, in his bringing of it. So it gives you a little bit of an idea here as we're reading through. And Mark doesn't always do things chronologically, but these two stories are back-to-back that we're going to look at this morning in these 17 verses. So um, Jesus has been traveling and ministering to those in the area. 
And so we pick it up in verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard, and he had come home. Heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. All right, so Jesus returned. He's been out traveling. He's been out teaching, and he's been gathering his disciples along the way. And, and so he, he comes back to Capernaum, and he pulls them in, and there's a large crowd. The word's gotten out. And if you know anything about Jesus' ministry, it's not only the fact that he's a great teacher, and he is, but it's because of the miracles he's been doing. That's really what's been drawing people in. People have been seeking out after him to either get healed or to see a miracle or to see something special out of the ordinary, but word's gotten out. And so there's this great gathering. In fact, they've filled this place to capacity. All right, I'll say it. it's a little hard to imagine that this morning because we're a little bit sparse in places. And um, I appreciate you that, that got up this morning. I know you had a concert last night. I, I heard there was even a rumor of trying to get us to delay this morning's sermon uh, so that we could you know, all wake up and, and get here. You know, if we could have done 11 o'clock or even a, a noon service, it would have been all right with some of you. <laughs> I didn't get that memo, so we started at our normal time. No. But it is a place that was filled to capacity, standing room only, right? And Jesus has been speaking, and so he's gathered this crowd, and he's teaching, and he's not just teaching um, anything. He's teaching the Word, it says here. And when I looked at that, he's teaching actually through the Old Scriptures. He's recanting a lot of the Old Testament. Remember, up to this point, that's all he has. And so Jesus is, is fulfilling the scriptures at that moment. But So he's teaching from the old. And again, that would draw in primarily the Jews, obviously. And he had a mixed crowd. We're going to see a little bit later on in this story, just like there is people from various places and all different walks of life, just like there is this morning, right? We're, we're not all from the same place. We're not all, uh, we didn't all grow up together right? from different areas. We may even be different levels in our, our spiritual walks, right? To newly saved, who've been saved for many years, uh, church, unchurch. You know, we, we come from different backgrounds. And Jesus has that within this crowd as well. Yet he's able to teach to all of them. It's a great gift. It's, a great, it's amazing to me because to be able to do that on all these levels and connect with everyone. But he's Jesus, right? So he has that ability. All right, verse 3, as we go on a little bit more in the story here, but that gives you the background setting up. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat and the man that was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Back up a little bit here. It's, uh, it's, a, it's amazing, right? This guy finds friends, friends that are willing to go the extra mile, right? How many of you have ever tried to lift someone or carry, uh, well, I grew up on a farm or near a farm, right? Carrying an animal, right? Or carrying another human being. Have you ever tried to do that, lift up on somebody? Right? It, it, it's hard work, right? It's heavy, right? 
Cam, you lift weights, right? But weights are one thing, but trying to lift up a person is another whole deal, right? You probably can lift a lot more weights versus a person. I know, I remember on the farm when, when a cow would have a, a calf way out in the fields, and one of my jobs, because I was low on the, the totem pole, was I'd have to go out and grab the calf and bring it back. And trying to carry a squirming, slimy calf nudged by across the field in boots was a challenge. And you quite often would get nudged by mom as well because she wasn't happy with the fact that you were carrying her calf. But that was what you had to do. And I remember my arms would be exhausted. But give me a pile of wood and I would have been fine. But that, that live weight. And so it takes four guys to carry this man. And I'm sure they struggled. Right? They struggle and they get to this place and, and they're expecting to, to be able to go in and he really wants to see Jesus. And guess what? Can't get in right? There's no handicapped parking. There's no place to, he doesn't get any special treatment to get into the place. And so I don't know which one of the four, or or maybe it was a group decision, but they decide to go up on top of the building, up on the roof. Now, culturally speaking, the homes in that day would have a, a flat roof. We don't have them here in the north for very good reasons. Snow being the major one, but but they would have flat roofs, and they would use their roof as kind of an extra room, a place to meet, a place to gather. But they would have to put layers on it to keep the rain out. So these guys go up there, and now how are they going to get to see him, right? There's, a, there's a, a floor or a ceiling between them. And so they would have to physically dig. They had to dig that out. They had to, to make a hole big enough for this guy. And I don't know where they found the rope. Scripture doesn't tell us. But they tied ropes and they actually lowered this guy down. Can you imagine someone coming down through the ceiling right here right now? Right? One, it would cause a huge distraction. Right? Right? It's not our normal, right? And it wasn't Jesus' normal to have someone lowered down. Right? Just coming right down out of the ceiling. Right? It would, it would draw attention. Also, we, we know that most everyone would recognize this guy, and, and they would have known right away that he was, was paralyzed. And so the action is great here. There's a lot of effort to get this guy in front of Jesus by these four guys. I think that's why Jesus recognized that. And it even says in verse 5, it says, Jesus saw their faith. You miss that if you read it real quick, but he saw their faith. They had enough faith that something special was going to happen, and so they went the extra mile to get this man in front of Jesus. Kind of the unsung heroes in this story, if you, if you, if you read it, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I've done a lot of things for people, but that's going a long ways. That's a lot of work, you know? To do that for your friend or someone that's in need, right? They went easily the extra mile. So their actions, and Jesus sees that and says, saw their faith. Yet he doesn't start leave it there, right? He doesn't leave with the fact that this guy's been lowered down and, and, and their faith. He talks to the person as well, right? He calls him son. Your sins are forgiven. All right, that's a big deal, right? That, that's a huge deal. That's a spiritual need. He forgives the paralyzed man. Now, he hasn't been introduced to him. He doesn't know. He, he's not sitting there 
you know, this, this man's not confessing. Again, Jesus sees hearts and he just says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Right? Even those four guys couldn't have known that was what was going to happen. Had probably, they had, would have had no idea that that was going to take place. Yet they're being used by God. And Jesus speaks to him and speaks to his sins. Verse 6. It says, Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I told you there was, there was a mixed crowd. There were more people in the crowd, right? And we see here there's, there's another group of people, people that are in there, the teachers of the law, right? The Pharisees are in the, in the crowd. They're the ones that, that, that they know the law. They keep the law. They're the ones that, that make the rules on top of the rules. They're the righteous ones. And they identify, wait, 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 wait a minute. Jesus, you, you can't do that because only God can forgive sins. He's the only one. In fact, this charge is going to be made over and over again about Jesus. Right? This is, Mark has just given us the glimpse early on here that this is going to become the problem between the Jewish rulers and the leaders and Jesus. He's identifying himself by doing this as God. He's letting them know, hey, this is something that I'm doing here. And, and that they're right. They are correct and that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is doing that right there on the spot. So it's, it's a highlight of what's yet to come. It's also a continuation of the problem, right? Religious leaders, they, they knew, they had all the words, but they didn't have the actions, right? They knew, knew the law, but they didn't have the action behind it, the right actions. Verse 8, immediately, by the way, one of Mark's favorite words, in case you're just a side note, a trivia question, 41 times he uses that word immediately, right? Right on the spot. It's one of his, his buzzwords that lets you know. But again, emphasizing, you know, the speed of things in which it takes place. But immediately is one of Mark's words that says, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was that they, uh, is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why do you think these things? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Stop right there for a moment, right? I love this part. Mark gives you this glimpse, right? Jesus in his spirit. He knows, right? He knows exactly what's going on in their hearts. I think I've made this confession before, and it's a, it's a warning for all of us, right? Just because I see something, I don't know what's going on in people's hearts, right? We are not qualified, nor have we ever been qualified, to see what people's hearts are. We can't see their heart motivation binder and as I see what's going on, right? But Jesus can. It's a good reminder. And as I was reading through that, I was like, yep, that's right. I can't see people's hearts. I don't know what's going on inside. I can make assumptions, I can, but 
a lot of times those are wrong. And just because their heart doesn't always line up with their actions doesn't mean that God's not at work. And so Jesus sees that. He sees in their hearts, and, and so he calls them out. He, he questions them right on the spot. Now, you can imagine those, those leaders, they're there, but they're, they're not, they're, they want to be recognized, but not in this way. Because really, Jesus is calling them out. Right? He's, he, he's calling them out in, in this big crowd. He's saying, hey, why do you think such things? Right? This would have, would have, it probably would have shrunk down a little bit, or the head would have dropped, or at least I know I, I, what happened to me if I get called out in a big group. And then he asks this rhetorical question, right? He says, you know, which is easier? To forgive sins or heal this man? Really what he's saying here. Is it easier for me to heal him or is it easier for me to forgive sins? And again, we've already established the only one that can forgive sins is Jesus. But again, just to, to, to ring true home, and again, because Remember, Jewish believers and, and Jews in general love to see a sign that goes with that, right? That sign, a miracle, authenticates the teacher. And Jesus, very, no problem. Hey, get up, take your mat, mat and walk. He just heals them on the spot. I'm surprised that because they're Jesus' word, Mark didn't try to, you know, wedge in there immediately, but it happened just like that immediately. Right? Then he gives the reason. All right? It's not enough that he's forgiven his sins, he's, he's healed him, but authority on earth. He says, because I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Right? Now that message has gotten narrow. He, he's pinpointed it right to those leaders. He's called them out, he's, he's exposed their hearts, he's exposed their motives, and he's letting them know his motives, right? He's letting them know, really, who he is. This is still fairly early in the ministry, but he's letting them know, hey, I want you to know that I am the Son of Man, right? Again, that's uh, alluding to that, that Son of Man is, again, establishing himself and letting them know that he's the up-and-coming Messiah, not full-blown yet, not at that point, but he's letting them know, hey, that's just who I am, and this is where I come with this authority. And then he turns to the man, right? He says, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home, right? Basically, he's saying, hey, show them. Show them that I've healed you, right? And so he takes up his mat and he leaves. He walks. He walks. Wow. Verse 12 gives us a little bit of that glimpse. It says, he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. All right, they broke out into praise right there on the spot. Worship. Joe, great, great setup. Thank you. I'm glad you, right? Actually, the, the Greek means out of the mind. I actually looked up the word, and the, the Greek word that's used here is, is, is out of your mind, right? Or today we'd say it blew their minds, you know, to, to make it for today, right? It just it blew them away, what took place. Tell you what, if it happened here this morning, it would blow our minds too. We would be, be wild, like, well, that doesn't happen every Sunday. 
And so that closes the scene here. And we don't get a lot of other details, even in the other Gospels, because this is recounted in both Luke and Matthew. But we know that, again, this is that building of the crowds, but it's also that first conflict between the, the religious rulers and Jesus. There's going to be more, and there's at least 13 recorded in Mark, and then eventually his crucifixion, which is the ultimate conflict between them. But this is the beginning of that. And they're starting that, that tension between the two groups. And like I said, the title of this morning's message was Action and Words, right? And Jesus puts them together greatly here in this. He, he pulls them together nicely. He not only speaks, but he, he shows. His actions and his words line up perfectly. It's a great example. This next one gives us another example of that and why I'm going to go on a little bit more, again, continuing the story a little bit, that Jesus is going to call another one of his disciples. Verse 13, again, different time, a little bit later on, and there's a space in between here, but it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So again, he's calling Matthew here. Again, Levi is, is his other name or his given name, but quite often uh, in that culture in that day, they would have duplicate names, more than one name, right? We tend to do that too, right? And among relationships, we, we call people by different things. Some of us have nicknames. Some of us have, you know, you'll use a title depending on where you are, right? Relationships have different levels, and so it's no different in, in that regards. So Levi is really Matthew, and Matthew, the disciple who Jesus is calling, and he's calling him out of being a tax collector. Tax collectors were pretty low on the the food chain, as far as being liked. Tax collectors were, were hated. They were also in that, that no man's land, right? The Jews didn't like them. The Romans tolerated them, but they were just in that no man's land because they were the ones that were representing Rome getting the money. They were taking the toll, if you want to call it, or collecting the money that was due Rome. And so they weren't well-liked. I'm not sure if many of us like paying our taxes, right? He, well, Levi was that guy. He was the one that was sitting there making sure it got collected, and he could easily tell the Romans, hey, so-and-so didn't pay or they didn't pay enough, and you would be imprisoned. Or got in trouble. And so he was seen as uh, the rat or the, the bad person in the story or in that time. Also, the other thing that tax collectors had to do in that day to make a living was they would charge more to, and they would get to keep the extra. They were rewarded for doing that. But So if the tax was 5%, they would charge 6% to collect. And so that 1% they could keep. And of course, the Jews knew that, and they wouldn't want to pay that. But yet, there was that fear. And so tax collectors were not, not well-liked. But they also, in that day, did pretty well financially. They had money. 
They usually did pretty well. They were in good standing. It was actually a position that, that held some, some prestige, at least among the Romans. And, and for a Jew to have that, um, he could make a good living. And so for Jesus to call him out of there, it's going to cost Levi or Matthew something to do it. It's not a simple thing to go back. And in fact, one commentator goes into a great length to talk about, you know, a fisherman, if he leaves it, he can always come back and be a fisherman, right? If, if things don't work out, he had a, 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 a fallback plan. Tax collectors didn't have that, right? There was people waiting in line to be that position, believe it or not, even though it wasn't well-liked, but it was a way to make money. And so if he leaves this position, he can't go back to it. It'll be taken by somebody else and he'll be done with. Well, he's leaving, in many regards, a little bit more than just the average person who's a farmer or a trade that you could go back to. He doesn't have that option. But he does. He leaves it. He sees something in Jesus, and he leaves and follows after him. Mark leaves out some of those details, and I pulled that from the other Gospels. If you want to go and look that up, um, you can read a little bit more about Matthew and his background. But verse 15 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The assumption is tax collectors were already sinners. They were the unrighteous, right? And so, but not only that, but he was with, with other sinners. Love this. I was reading this a little bit. It's like um, there were other tax collectors among there, right? Matthew probably had a network of friends. And so he hosted at, at his home. And so, you know, his group, his circle would have been these other tax collectors and people probably that were of, of low reputation. And so he invites them all together to hear this man, Jesus. And there was this crowd as Jesus was having dinner, which, again, was a big deal in that day. Having a meal, having that fellowship, that food, right, that connector, the only thing I can liken it to is like Thanksgiving time, right? It's coming up, right? So meals that we have and friends, and it's, it's a special meal. It's not, not just our normal meals that we have. It's not, it's not leftovers, right? It's something special. It's a connection, which culturally that was a big deal. And so to have these folks all together in a meal in the home meant that you were accepted, you were welcomed, you were part of the family in essence. And we see that group here, that other group on the opposite end, right? These Pharisees. They saw what was going on. They, they had heard. They, they had their spies or they had, rumor had gotten out that Jesus was eating with them. And so, rightfully so, they're, they're questioning, hey, why, why does Jesus eat with these tax collectors and sinners? Again, the, the righteous wouldn't do that in that day. The Pharisees, they would never associate with them. They would make that, they would separate themselves. They would keep that distance. It's almost as if somehow their sin could get on them and it would corrupt them and they wouldn't be seen as righteous anymore. Jesus has an answer for them. We see it in verse 17 here. It says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, 
It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, Jesus, but sinners. You could, if you wanted to, you could almost sum up all of Jesus' ministry right here, or a good portion of his ministry, if you want to look at his purpose. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Right? You want to interject that, right? Jesus didn't come for those who were already right. He came for the sinners. He came for us, right? We're the sinners. We needed salvation. We need a Savior. He didn't come for the righteous people, right? And again, we also see here where his actions and his words line up, right? Again, the religious leaders, they, they didn't get this part. They didn't, they didn't understand. Jesus says, I'm with the very people I need to be with. These are the people that I need to be with. This is the people that need me, right? That reliance upon God. So that's the, this morning's message. And as we kind of come back around with this, it's a simple question I have with you, for you this morning and just something to think about and maybe reflect on this week and hopefully put it into to action. But do your words and your actions line up? You say you're a believer. Do your actions line up? You say you follow Christ. Do your actions follow? You say I want to reach the lost. Do your actions follow? It's a haunting question, but it also can help us, motivate us to, to make them line up again. Maybe asking for forgiveness, or asking God to give me those opportunities, or looking for those opportunities this week. Do your actions and your words line up? Bow with me, please. Well, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and Lord, as we all need this reminder, Lord, that you see our hearts, you know our motivations, you know what we think, what we say, and what we do. Lord, I would pray this morning that we would just line ourselves up with you. As we praise you this morning, Lord, for being our Savior and the work you did on the cross for us. Lord, may it motivate us to live it out this week. Lord, I also pray that you would just continue to give us opportunities and that we would see them and that we would step through those doors and not let fear or the enemy deter us. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.